Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the third and final season of Stargirl. They have decided not to continue with this show. That's all to do with the CW changing hands and some crazy idea to you know try to make it profitable or something, which it didn't need to be when it was under Warner Brothers and or whatever it was under because mm-hmm. deals with the studios made it profitable. Yada yada yada. Anyways, thirteen season episode as is par for the course for this show. And it had a a little bit of a different feel this season. Starman was a regular, mm-hmm. even though he was a special guest. Uh, he was in most of the, the episodes. There might have only been like one or two that he wasn't in, if that. There was one he called in. Yeah, we didn't see him, but we got the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And for it felt like, frankly, most of the season, Courtney was there, but as Courtney, not Stargirl. This was definitely the season of what would Courtney do? Yes. In terms of everyone else. But Courtney really lacking self-confidence in Courtney and thinking Stargirl was the only one with strength, with power, with with knowledge, ability, with anything. And really having to regain her self-confidence as Courtney. Yeah, it's funny because it felt like they harped on the balance she had found or whatever the beginning of the season uh, from last season and so forth. But now, again, the balance seems so out of whack because she was she was always Courtney. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the name of the show is Stargirl, mm-hmm. not Courtney Whitmore. Although, ironically, in the little credits at the beginning of every episode, it's Courtney Whitmore created by yeah. Jeff Johns and Lee Motor. Now, the cynic in me has to wonder if that's because Courtney Whitmore was an original character Stargirl would be a derivative character. I think some of it's that. I think some of it is that they really wanted to show what made that teenage girl special, aside from the powers. I, I think the focus on Courtney this season was definitely that way. I think the how she's credited as created by and stuff and goes back to the comics. I think some of it's the legalities and going back to the comics, but I think all through this show, Courtney's mindset has really driven things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Had somebody else found the staff, it would have been a fundamentally different show and possibly not a heroic one. Yeah. And I think we got aspects of that at the end of the season. I mean, she came from a place of forgiveness, a place of understanding. I teased you between two of the episodes. I'm like, if my memory were better, when this character calls out Courtney on how could you keep someone else's secret from us? Yes, yes. I would be able to say Courtney should be replying, but when I kept that secret for you and that secret for him and, you know. Well, and I'm pretty sure we binged the second season as well. I think we watched the first as it was coming out. Either way, 13 episode seasons. Yeah. That means there's usually at least nine months between us watching one season and the next, if not more. And with the pandemic and stuff, I think there was more. That it does make it hard to remember, okay, what all did they... I mean, the high points of season one and two, yeah, I kind of remember. The specifics, though, 
it's hard. I was really starting to wonder if they had established, and it almost would have had to have been first season, that Icicle did jigsaw puzzles. I would love to know. I mean, the jigsaw puzzle for me came out of nowhere and meant nothing. The whole the clue end. of that, you know, for who was spying on everybody for most of the season did not pay off, did not play well, did not make sense. And it felt like the arc they were doing for the season started one way, ended a totally different way, and not in. I mean, it was clearly planned out. I just didn't think it was a good plan. I mean, the murder of the, the gambler and stuff. It, okay. Aspects of what they did totally didn't work for me, and yet I feel they delivered on frenemies, which I consider ironic. They absolutely delivered on that, and I think one of the highlights of the season and how they delivered on that was the Crocs. Yes. I mean- And that's part of why I was so disappointed with the ending. If you had asked me when we first met the Crocs, if I thought they should be upgraded to regulars, be in every episode, I'd have asked, what, what are you thinking? I was concerned at the end of second season where it was clear they should become regulars of, of whether that was a good idea or not. I mean, they first of all, they're the opposite of heroic, and we're building a very heroic show. But and I know I talk about this too much, but going back to Everwood, to a lesser degree, One Tree Hill, where shows balanced the teenager plot lines with the parents' plot lines. Well, and this gave them some of the ability to do that. And I granted, they had some of that first season anyways. But this felt better. They used the Crocs so much better than I, I had ever expected they would. I mean, I loved Paula Croc being baffled that the women's club that she was being asked to join wanted her to bake a cake. It's like, I could just go buy one. And the back and forth on all of that leading to the friendship, leading to some of the payoff at the end, yeah. in both directions yes. and such, Yes, it, it really gave a good character arc for the season, for the Crocs, uh, for uh, some of the stuff with Artemis, for so many of the characters, really. Mm -hmm. And then to have those characters just pushed off the narrative before the penultimate episode. To me, it was a, we don't know what to do with them when we get to the penultimate episode, because whichever side we put them on, it throws off the balance of characters. We want to have five walk up against five. Well, and they'd clearly set it up, I thought, where the Crocs would have sided with the JSA. I believe so. And I think part of it is they had set up Artemis and the Crocs as the, the next-door neighbor, the whole warped leave-it-to-beaver potential and such yes. at the end of second season, and they kind of but didn't quite know how to deliver on that. In other words, I think they had the subplot for it for the season, but were stymied as to how to make it match up with the plot of the season. Because, yeah. I mean, everything from Artemis trying out for the JSA and then going MIA for six episodes or something. She tries out for the JSA in the costume that we jokingly said looked more Ninja Turtles than any of the other costumes. It reminded me of the Leapfrog costume a little bit from She-Hulk. By the time she finally comes back in, she appears in costume. And you say, there's the Ninja Turtle you've been missing, because I've been asking you for episodes. Yeah, where is she? Where's Artemis? And it takes me a second to put together that she's the Ninja Turtle. And I'm so confused at that point, because I'm like, I, I, did we establish the costume well enough 
for me to put and really it well, was the baseballs holding the cape that did it. The baseballs holding the cape, but we only see it at night. It's a dark green. And part of it with these characters is Earth Two characters really since the seventies hadn't gotten a ton of screen time in the comics other than the JSA books or All Star Squadron or Infinity Inc., much of which happened in the eighties. JSA had a run a good run in the two thousands. But Artemis, the main Artemis character I think of is from Young Justice, mm. which is a different Artemis for the most part, and a very different costume because she's basically an archer and stuff, whereas this is very much Sportsmaster's daughter. Yeah. And again, worked well. So I didn't think the costume was particularly great. If it was referencing a particular thing in the past, it was lost on me, and it may well have been. I'm no expert on the character, much less what would have been the equivalent of an Earth 2 version of it. And again, for the character to just go MIA for half the season, Mm -hmm. particularly when the parents are still around, being very well used, and then summarily dismissed, it got to the point of, like you said, they were figuring out the the big showdown at the end of the season and realized they had a few too many characters in play, so let's just kick these ones uh, to the curb. Mm Mm-hmm. I was I was very disappointed with all of that. Well, and the way they kicked them to the curb, I didn't see what purpose it served. I mean, was it supposed to tell us this character is still evil? He's going to play nice, but he's still evil. Let him well, prove it to you first. It's a kill the cat moment of you're bringing another character in. We're doing the reveal. Gotta prove this is a bad guy, so he's got to kill some people. You know, okay, I get it, but I thought it was heavy handed. Didn't make sense either in this part of the season or for that character. I mean, if it was revenge for a betrayal, I would have liked a line or two of dialogue. Or previously on showing us the betrayal. Because I don't Um, recall that from what would have had to have been first season. Well, but they were coming from talking to Grandma and Grandpa McKent. Which in and of itself wouldn't have constituted a betrayal. Well, I, I don't... Yeah, see? That's my, my quandary. It, part of it is what gets revealed afterwards. You've got to look at some things in some new light. See, what amused me at the McKent's house is we're in, I guess, Jordan's library area above Mom's art studio area. Which I took as being in the back left of the house, facing it from the outside. Yeah. I was always having a hard time figuring out how the interior floor plan matched the exterior house we see. Oh, very, very hard. I'll, I'll give you that one. But what got me was we have the couch, the coffee table, the two chairs facing it. And we assigned positions, almost like the driver's seat and the navigator's seat in a car. Okay, so on the couch is the, the nicer person, the slightly gullible person. And then from the couch's perspective, facing the two chairs, on the left, is the more hot-headed person. Oh, that's funny. I had The more violent person. And on the right is the calmer, more pacifying, more diplomatic person. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the temperature goes further into the room or whatever. I Every see it now, but I, I hadn't noticed that before. I was always a little puzzled why Grandma and Grandpa McKent sometimes sat in the chair, sometimes sat on the couch. It depended what role they were playing. Were, I'd have to rewatch the scenes. I, I think you're right. I just didn't pick up on that at all. Was Grandpa McKent being the calmer, more rational one, calming down the more violent Grandma McKent? Opposite, for instance, Barb and Pat 
being the more gullible people who think these two are just going to get along. About- Versus when Pat and Sylvester are there yes. as the aggressors on yes. the chairs. Yes. Wow. That's yeah. I, 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 I again, I see what you're saying. It makes sense. I just didn't pick up on that at all as we were watching it. And it annoyed me because I don't know any house where the homeowners give up their favorite chairs. Well, that's the part that kept getting me. Why were they sometimes on the couch versus the two chairs? Because they seemed to prefer the chairs initially. Yeah. yeah. And it, again, in most houses I've been in, people have their chair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when grandma's mad. She's in that chair. Yeah. We got a lot more characterization of those two this season than we had before. Before, they were just walk-on extras. Here, they did a great job. Mm-hmm. And again, they had a really good cast overall on yes. this show. Yes. So I was I was pleased with that. Well, but they were consistent with what we knew of them from before. Yes. Which was impressive. We given- just didn't know much about them. And we got a lot more in-depth with them. But they had managed to establish. Yes, yes. Enough. They, they didn't have to re-engineer the characters yeah, for this season. exactly. Although it did feel like, again, I think they, they had a plot line they were going through the entire time. Mm-hmm. It just felt as a viewer around episode 10-ish that they, they re, not rework things, but reveal enough that the story we're now following didn't feel like it had been really set up, although they kind of do some flashbacks later on to show how it was theoretically set up. And mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of was, but not in a way that it felt like what came later felt natural. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the bringing in of the ultra humanite seemed out of the blue. And part of it is all of that was after the two-parter labeled Infinity Inc., which is labeled after Earth 2 title from the 80s, that was happening during Crisis on Infinite Earth. I pointed out because it was kind of a JSA the next generation series. That being set in the 80s, JSA having been elder, you know, characters from previous decades and whatnot. But this was running when Crisis on Infinite Earths happened and wiped out Earth 2 where all of this was happening. So they had to rework how could we have Wonder Woman's daughter if we don't have that Wonder Woman and so forth. So the only two Infinity characters we got in that two-parter was Jade and Obsidian. Mm -hmm. They'd set up before, kind of made sense, whatever. But we couldn't have Brainwave Jr. because they'd killed him off. Yeah. Couldn't really have Fury, the daughter of Wonder Woman, because, well, that means you've got to have a Wonder Woman and such. They couldn't have either Northwind or Silver Scarab. One, uh, Silver Scarab was the biological son of Hawkman and Hawkwoman, and Northwind was kind of the adopted version of it. We had mention of Sand. Sand wasn't an Infinity Inc. character. He was a sidekick of the original Sandman. And he was really brought to the forefront as a lead character in the James Robinson, Jeff Johns run of JSA that started around 2000. But some of the other characters that were in Infinity Inc., Nuclon got mentioned in the Infinity Inc. Uh, bit, and I'm trying to think who else. Again, it's... We saw Penny Dreadful. We saw somebody Jones. Both of those were members of Helix, which were a oh. villainous group with Mr. Bones, who we did see. Mm-hmm. And it was a member, five member team. And I'm trying to remember who the others were off the top of my head. They were not uh, outside of that series, a group that I think has ever been seen together. Hmm. Mr. Bones became a recurring character. Because he became the head of the Department of Extra Normal Affairs or whatever, the DEO or DE, yeah, 
extra normal operations, maybe. I forget what the acronym stands for. One of the main government groups in the DC universe. So we see him almost as a super spy versus the super villain he started as. That's fine. Which is, yeah, yeah. really weird. But you had that two-parter to establish really Obsidian because we'd already established Jade in second season. And it kind of broke the season in half, what happened before, what happened after. And it dealt with Shade. We got Shade a little at the beginning, certainly there, and a touch at the end. A great actor, did a great job with the role. And I loved his arriving and saying, I need the kid, I need Courtney Whitmore. I don't need Stargirl, I need, I need Courtney. Courtney. Yes. Well, and the use of the Shade in this series, certainly this season, but definitely last season too, was reminiscent of his use in the Jack Knight Starman series that James Robinson also did around the time of the JSA stuff, 2000-ish. I don't remember the exact time it ran. It ran for like, I want to say 87 issues, so a long time. It started with the other son of the Ted Knight Starman for the first issue. That didn't go so well. Jack Knight takes over. But periodically, the shade would come in. It was all set in Opal City and such. And he was the mysterious guy who'd been around forever, was used for some flashback stuff, and was, again, very similar to how he's used here. I liked him here. Kind of an advisor, but not quite. A little acerbic. He's got the knowledge and some stuff like that, but he not like he wants to be a team player, or he says that at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, again, a lot of it came from there. They seemed to accidentally set up a spinoff show and then not care. I didn't take it as a spinoff show. I took it as we could have seen them in a fourth season of Shade, Jade, Obsidian, Sandy, and one or two others mm -hmm. as they really form what would become Infinity Inc. I wish I had better understanding of when this finished filming versus when the sale of CW happened, because I think they would have made some different writing decisions. If they had still had two or three episodes where they could finagle the scripts after the sale happened and some of the press releases came out. I don't think they had that, but I think they knew going in that they may not get a fourth season. And I totally agree with that. But the things that came out right after the sale that I think would have influenced them was the announcement by these people who bought, what, 50% of the network that they own the stations it airs on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they care greatly about the demographics. Yeah. And they feel that their demographic is more at the 40 to 50 year old range. So doing a superhero show to begin with, but particularly a superhero show starring teenagers, wasn't the right fit. Well, but I think that Stargirl, I wouldn't have killed the Crocs if I knew that. I wouldn't have sidelined the Crocs if I knew that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would have had Yolanda's mother at the back door of the house in the final episode. Yeah, we should have seen the mother. I think Beth's parents were well positioned. You would have focused a little bit more on the, the older generation? I would have been bringing them in with Pat joking. I thought I was done being a sidekick, and now I flip where I am on the ages, and I'm back to being a sidekick. Well, he was always the only sidekick that was older than his hero, but that didn't seem to... It's funny because there was a scene where Starman and Pat are talking in the basement near the end, pivotal scene, that really reminded me how 
almost you could have and should have swapped the actors for the roles in terms of the comics because Sylvester in the comics was particularly a Star Spangled Kid, a, a smaller, scrawnier. Mm. But even as Skyman, which is what that costume was based on, he was a little more Captain America-ish, but not quite the big football player type. He'd certainly, you know, uh, muscled up, but you'd be a hero for, you know, a decade or something. That I yeah. would think that's going to happen. Whereas Stripesy was always the bigger, more muscular, more football player type. Oh, interesting. He was the muscle kind of, I don't say protecting the kid. Mm-hmm. And driving him around because the kid was too young, things like that. So there were there were a few things there where I could see what they were pulling from the various comics and such, and mashing up stuff from from very different decades. Again, Infinity Inc. stuff from the nineteen eighties, a lot of stuff from the two thousands, Star and Stripe, which introduced Courtney, introduced the Stripe robot and stuff, Dragon King, and all that a lot of the JSA stuff. I think if they had wanted to really target an older demographic, the spin-off show would have been a JSA show proper. Interesting. I just think that if they were doing a show that brought the parents more actively into it, it would have been going back to my Everwood comparison. Yeah, yeah. One where you've got one that's hitting both demographics. It's something that works for the kids and for the adults. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of thematically how the 2000 run of, of JSA was, of you had the original JSA group, you had kind of that next rung of characters, and they even brought in some brand new fresh faces. This is where we got Cyclone, who showed up in the Black Adam movie. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Black Adam was a member of that JSA team and such. But most of these characters, this version of Our Man, this version of Dr. Midnight, were based on later additions to Infinity, Inc., and I think if you wanted to do that kind of almost multi-generational show, which to a degree is exactly what they did with the McKent family, yeah, you don't call it Stargirl. No, and I, I agree with that, which is where I was saying earlier, they felt like they set up the one spinoff with Shade and the others. Going back to your comment of bringing them in for season four would have made a lot of sense. But having Shade as kind of the the guy who's reluctantly mentoring both levels. Well, it's funny because for a show named after a particular character. It falls into the same trap as every DC Arrowverse show. I think it falls deeper into that trap. Probably. It's yeah. not just that we've got Team Flash or Team Arrow. Yeah. We don't have Team Stargirl, but we've got stuff so far on the periphery on it. Her brother is having his own adventures off for a while with Jakeem and Cindy and such. But technically, they're in support of her. Well, no, they're in competition to her adventures on the same mission. Yes. And that's very sibling rivalry, which for step-siblings is very impressive. It just seems like we never got this much in depth. It's not like John Diggle over in Arrow had kind of prolonged solo adventures away not prolonged, but he went off to Iraq. He did, he did, but not during the show the way that we're getting the the adventures of the Crocs and stuff, yeah. or the McKents, or you know half a dozen of these other characters and mm-hmm. such. And we've got a ve- it's very much an ensemble show here, and mm-hmm. that's good. I got no problem with that. Other than the name of the show is Star Girl, whereas with the the writing sensibility of even a decade back. Such a show would have had lead character, mm-hmm. and if not every scene, 
90% of them and the other scenes to have the dramatic, you know, villain twirling their mustache equivalent or whatever of, mm-hmm. you know, I'll get you next time or, or setting up the plot or, or establishing whatever's happening this episode or something like that. Versus, I don't know how much screen time Courtney got this season, because I think for half the season, Stargirl literally didn't show yeah. in costume and such. And it's, it's like Lois and Clark, okay, Superman's not going to be in everything, special effects cost money, et cetera, et cetera. But anyhow, we saw more of Starman in costume, or even the rest of the JSA than yeah. we saw Stargirl. But how much time was Courtney on screen versus the adventures of the brother and Jakeem or- Cindy the, off trapping a gorilla. Cindy off doing her stuff, or the parents doing their stuff with the Crocs and mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. So- I don't feel like it lost focus. But I think they took Stargirl, the title, and I can almost see a note on the wall in the writing room that simply said, what would Courtney do? Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. And her her impact was felt throughout the show, even when she wasn't on screen necessarily. But I think it's just a different approach to the title than I'm used to. They were doing a lot more world building and mm-hmm. expansion. And we got further away from Courtney at times than I felt we ever do in Superman and Lois, in Batwoman, in Black Lightning, in any of the actual Arrowverse shows. Yeah. Because the closest this comes to being connected to the Arrowverse, crisis aside, what was clearly established as being on a separate Earth, is that the Jay Garrick Flash we know from the Barry Allen Flash show is probably the same one here. Yeah. I say is probably. Because we can't say that categorically, given the shenanigans they pulled with Superman and Lois, making us think it was the one from Supergirl. Oh, really? uh, no, we're kidding. It's not. Yeah. So I think they knew their days on the show were numbered as other Arrowverse shows were falling to the wayside, and that this was never really a full-fledged one in the same way the others were. Agreed. And with the sale of the network, I think they, they saw yes. the writing on the wall. I, I Well, my point is they could have seen it before the sale of yes. the network, and then it wasn't the writing on the wall. I think it was just a fact of life after that, uh, that the odds of them getting out of the season were, were next to zero, unfortunately. I, I think the cast did well. I think, by and large, the writing was good. There were a couple of places, again, where, it, frankly, it fumbled a little this season. Okay, so the very first episode of the season, we set up what feels like the mystery of the season. Yeah. Who killed the gambler? This is going to be the big question of the season. What do you feel the answer was for motive? Why was the gambler killed? I'm still trying to figure out if we actually revealed officially who killed him. I mean, the implication is it was ultra-humanite, icicle, and or dragon king. But I don't know. I think the implication was it was dragon king in whatever body we're calling the gorilla. I think it was Icicle. Icicle was the one who'd been watching the monitors. I think he basically sent the feed to Gambler to let him know, I know what's going on. I'm not having any of this, i.e., did he double-cross the ISA back in season one? I don't remember. He took the money from everyone. Took the money from everyone, so that Arbor engendered ill will. But the damage looked more like the damage the gorilla does. With the ice blasts, I don't know. Because when we saw the flashback of Sylvester getting attacked, we never saw anything touch him. So again, it made me wonder if it was an ice blast effect or... It was unclear. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that was what was 
theoretically the main mystery setup at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's where I felt they diverged from that onto a let's take over the world kind of plot. The main mystery was a red herring. Yeah. I'm grateful they tied up the pivotal loose end, if you will, from that supposed main mystery. Yes. That attention to detail, I appreciate. It was a sense of closure that was good and Courtney needed, but I think if they hadn't done it, a lot of people might not have noticed, even though they would have felt that it was missing. Yes, I agree. So, I think a lot of people would have forgotten until they went and rewatched the season. I but don't know how many people would rewatch the season. I'll give you that. Because again, it started yeah. one way, it ended another. Yeah. And while there was a through line, it felt like we started with one show and ended on another. And to me, that really hit home in the penultimate episode where I think they forgot, because I, I commented, it's like the CW bug is, <laughs> yeah. is still in the bottom corner. Yes, yes. But this show they're showing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not I typical CW fair. Yeah. I was appalled by a few of the visuals and such. Yeah. And felt it was it was wildly inappropriate for the show. And I mean, I I I returned to the we sat down to watch Stargirl Frenemies, and they set up the Crocs versus Pat and Barb. Mm-hmm. And really, I get why they started the season as Frenemies. I loved Paula Croc saying, "I've never had a friend before." Kind of a is this what friends do? I was expecting that at the parent level to be one of the main arcs. Mm-hmm. And that at the kid level, Cindy and Artemis integrating into the JSA. And we got Cindy. We got Cindy very blatantly. She was at dinner the last night. She was almost playing with Mike. Yeah, yeah. She walked in and then kind of walks out and then we don't see her for the rest of the the thing. She's there at the beginning of that scene. But she's there for dinner. She's there for dinner, but- Keep in mind, they were filming during COVID. They would have had limitations on how many people could be on set at the same time. Fair enough, fair enough. In an enclosed space. I guess her being at the lunch table early on and then walking away from the JSA team and then mm-hmm. it, the implications she's back in the good graces and such. Mm-hmm. But I felt how that fight on their side kind of ended and all of that, how it got. There were a couple of drop threads, I thought. It, it, there was did, definitely the drop thread of how did Mike and Jakeem get Cindy back to the bulk of the JSA. Yes. We had two very separate fights and we didn't get to bring them back together. A how was your day kind of a conversation. And really, all they would have needed to do is get them into the same place, have a you wouldn't believe my day. Well, let me tell you about mine. Cut to the dinner. Okay, they've had that conversation. We're good. Yeah. So there there are a couple of things that I I feel they could have finagled a little better. Artemis wasn't at dinner and nobody was commenting. I asked you early on, well, not early on, but early when we were watching the last, I guess, three or four episodes. So somewhere in there, kind of a... Have we established Artemis's age? It would have yeah. been really nice to know she is about to turn 18. She just turned 18. We had that discussion around episode 12. Yeah. And I think if they had established she's almost 18, if they play for a little time, she doesn't have to go into, you know, group home, whatever. I mean, yeah. but that, that discussion never even came up. I felt the way some of that was, was again, dropped ball. We cut to the three months later in the last episode, and I felt that scene kind of needed to happen. It was set up. It seemed almost inevitable, but it puts that it puts characters in a particular status quo and path that make the scene after it mm-hmm. seem a little odd. Though it's ten years later. It's ten years later, but 
and again, there's a second chances. There's other things that could set it up. It just to I guess the problem I had is to do them back to back, which yeah. they had to do. Yeah, and I get that. And then to end on a tease of we may see these characters all again, and we may. I mean, there are other places we could do it. I heard rumor at one point that possibly a, a crossover with Titans. Oh, interesting. Which would totally not work, huh. given the episode 12 aside, almost all ages feel of this show yes. versus the profane approach to, to Titans. Yes. The other place that would work better, and I think given that last scene make more sense, be over in Flash. Mm-hmm. The problem is the, the comment of let's gather the, the, the full roster of the JSA, that's a lot of guest stars to put over in Flash. And if you're going to do that, it'd feel a little odd not to have the Legends or, you know, other well, Arrowverse characters. You are back to that's 10 years from now. So It's 10 years later. I don't know that well, that's 10 years from now. I don't know what the timeline is on their world versus Barry's. That's true. But I'm just thinking you have that 10-year fudge factor. Something yeah. could happen between this episode and Jay Garrick arriving 10 years later. It just seemed like they they listed off what the membership was at the current day, and therefore that would be the group that would take over. If they were to do that in any way, shape, or form over on The Flash, which I think would be a very cool way to end that mm. series, I would almost end it with the start. I don't know if you could pull this off. I was going to say with the start of the team-up and not necessarily show the team-up, mm. but basically set it up as the launching of a JLA-JSA crossover kind of storyline. But if only they had more seasons. Yeah. But really, any kind of crossover in the Arrowverse after Crisis, and they never, because of the pandemic, really got the chance to do that, hard to pull off. I'm not sure what I would suggest they would use as a basis for it. Mm-hmm. And they had a few where they had a lot of guest stars and a yeah. lot of stuff like that from cross shows, but nothing like they had done with Crisis or the couple of crossovers leading up to it. I thought when they got to that final scene and they listed off the roster... That was to let us know that the frenemies made it work. Yeah, that and to end with the... Cameron got brought into the fold. Cindy got brought into the fold. You know, Artemis was not lost. I think it was meant to be part of the framing sequence. If you go back to the first episode where Courtney takes all the stuff from the headquarters. Yeah. And kind of mirror imaging it or whatnot. And... It would have been nice if we'd gotten some mention of a new Doctor Fate or Hawkman or something like that. I mean, I I need to go rewatch that first episode just to see which other JSA members they really establish as having existed. Yeah. So, I mean, they did a decent job with the season. It could have been a little better in places, but it wasn't bad. And in a few places, it was exceptionally good, like the Crocs and stuff. I think as far as ending the series... Ending with the There Will Always Be More Adventures makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it was a satisfying end to the series. Yeah. I just find it odd, and I don't really know how to phrase it, that I loved the frenemies aspect. I'm just not sure that the story they told was a great story. Even as I loved all the frenemies moments well, and what made the season work. The problem was that wasn't the arc of the show this season. Yeah. And the bit with the ultra humanite. The Dragon King and Icicle was not well set up at the first half of the season. It was hinted at, and they laid potential groundwork, but it was kind of a big reveal of out of nowhere. And they kept trying to play, ha, fooled you. 
yeah, the maybe this was the person spying on everyone. Oh, maybe this, maybe this. By the time we get it, it's like, okay, I'm over it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think they established the big bads early enough in the season, well enough for it to feel natural at the end, the way they feel they did. Yeah. And that was the failing. If they had really honed in more on the frenemies and is the team going to self-destruct or not, mm-hmm. that could have been a lot of fun. And they did some of that. But even stuff like what happened with Our Man and stuff, they got to a point, but it didn't pay off. I agree. Those were the moments I felt they they, they missed on. Yeah, they fell short. So I don't think it was the best season of the three. They also, I think I felt undermined what they were doing with Our Man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think they had done some of those things almost with an expectation of a fourth season. They can, what's the repercussions? How's he doing after it? But to me, it was more of a, oh, but it was through no fault of his own, it turns out. He he was an innocent pawn. He got played. Yeah, and I have problems with that. That's the undermining that I had issues with. It was being used as evidence for reveal later on, not that it was his fault, not that he should have known better. Even though at times it was played as he's going down this path and he ought not to, and almost everybody else sees it. Yeah. So again, they had some good stuff, but in, in some respect it was a little bit of a swing and a miss on certain plot lines and arcs, and it didn't need to be. Yeah. So I understand why they're not getting a fourth season. I kind of sort of wish they would, but I'm kind of sort of glad they don't, because I'd- they probably would have introduced even more characters and it would have- Yeah. And I like the new characters. I love seeing the Earth 2 JSA characters. I'm a big fan of these characters, and they did a good job with them. But they they pitched it and marketed it as one thing, a, a Stargirl show. It's a JSA show, an Infinity Inc. show, really. Well, Artemis got accepted to college. Yes. They all seem to be in the same class, presumably the same grade. I wouldn't mind, Mac, I hate to use the phrase Christmas special, but the once a year annual special of their home for the holidays, their home for summer break. Yeah. Yeah. A reunion-ish sort of thing. I think she's the same age. I think she graduated early because I think her parents were that competitive. And that would make sense. Totally. But they could have established that versus making me guess. Yes, I agree. But it does fit the character. You're right. I do think there's the opportunity for really almost all the Berlanti-verse shows, Arrowverse shows, to do 90-minute TV movie type things periodically. Yeah. Just to revisit the characters, revisit the status quos, and see what's up. Yeah. And I think if they could find a venue to do that and stories that were worthy of it, they'd find uh, an audience for it. I totally agree. It also gives them the ability to mix and match people from different shows. Yes. Which could be really interesting. be a ton of fun. So, again, I like this. I, I think they ended on a decent note. But I think it would not have taken a ton of work to really improve the season, make it so much better than it was. It was enjoyable, but it did have some weak moments. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.